welcome to the first episode of the Zero FX or Zero Fox, however you want to pronounce it, I guess, uh, podcast. Um, so we are joined today by the lovely Juan Spinell, uh, Rob Lancaster, who is one of the Zero Fox team, and myself, Amy Stokes Waters. Uh, I will allow our esteemed guest to introduce himself briefly before we kick off our conversation around privacy policies and alcoholic establishments. Um, I wonder why we picked that as a topic. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, Juan, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, so my name is Juan. And um, I was working in hospitality as a systems administrator when GDPR was uh, going live. So I was um, uh, affected by the whole uh, getting a strategy running and making sure that we did have um, uh, the compliance things going down there. And now I work as a systems engineer in the healthcare industry, which is a whole other bag. Um, and uh, I am here because Amy has the smoothest DM slides quite literally, yo, are you a GDPR expert? Um, yeah, what's wrong with that? Did it work? <laughs> so I'm not a GDPR expert. If you think you might need or might be affected in any way as a business by GDPR, absolutely get a lawyer. Um, any Anything like I say is was from a very specific perspective where we had data that stayed within Europe. And uh, there was no like complicated things with transfer to the UK or the US. It was all within Europe and technically just stayed in Switzerland. So very niche uh, experience there. This is definitely not legal advice, is it? This is this is definitely just three people <laughs> chatting, chatting and sharing their own opinions rather than offering any significant solutions to anyone who might need them. I thought that we brought him on as like a legal expert. Did I get that wrong? No, sorry. I know I didn't think that. Okay, we'll just be... I don't know, poor, poor one. <laughs> really not fair. Um, yeah, so um, I wanted to talk about this topic because I got interviewed for a BBC article around, um, they were looking at some privacy policies around, around some pubs in the UK and what the kind of data was that they were collecting and how it was being stored and how it was being treated. Um, and I just found it was a really interesting topic. So I was like, yeah, let's do a podcast on it and, uh, and have a chat about it as well. Um, yeah, so some of the data that was being collected by some of these pubs, it was really interesting. They were collecting things like IP addresses. Um, they were collecting usernames and passwords for things. They were collecting um, like what browser you're using, what OS you're using. And it was just, I found it quite scary, the amount of data that they were collecting and what the reasons were behind it. Because they, they were calling, sorry. So uh, the data that Amy is mentioning here, um, IP addresses, um, what browser you're using, what OS you're using, this is part of uh, the user agent. So this would actually be shared with the website anyways. Um, yeah. And even if the website isn't logging this data, the hosting provider would be logging this uh, simply as um, a way of tracking malicious attacks on the website. Uh, usernames and passwords, I mean, you know, you do need your username and password to log into uh, a service provider. But uh, when Amy suggested privacy policies and pubs, my mind went to the track and trace uh, instead. 
because you have places where this where this was just kept on a um, whiteboard or blackboard and erased as time went by. Uh, places where they just had a binder. Of course, yeah. you know, you know, you don't know who has access to the binder, but it's not openly visible. People can't just uh, snap pictures of it, and um, and then uh, drop uh, numbers or call people randomly that they don't know. And then, of course, we have the whole uh, QR code scanning, where this is a completely different entity uh, selling this track and trace service. And then, you know, in the UK, it was found out that this data was then being used to target uh, pub visitors. Go on, Rob. I was just going to say that the thing is, none of that is relevant to the services that are being provided. But unfortunately, the user who wants to go into a pub and have a, a, a glass of wine or a pint of beer, all they want to do is order their drink. Mm -hmm. And if they have to go through that rigmarole and tick the box, and no, I'm not a robot, and yes, I accept the terms, of, you, you know what, when you, you're not going to care. You're just going to bash your way through as, as quickly as you possibly can to to get to the point where you can do what you want to do and achieve what you want to achieve, which is very, it's a bit unfair because it's it's um, it's like saying to somebody, you can, you can get on my bus free of charge. Oh, brilliant! I'm on my I'm on your bus and and it was free of charge. Yes, but now that you're on my bus, I'm going to explain to you all the things that are going to happen as a result of you being here. It's like, well, it's too late. I'm already on the bus. I've already committed. And I think I think the big companies and indeed some of the small companies aren't being fair to the consumers in terms of explaining and helping them to, to navigate their way through this I think, mess of data. I think that's a really good point where you're saying you've kind of already committed to it. So a lot of the pubs during lockdown were just doing like service at the table only. So you had to yeah. go on their website. And you had to order your drink through their website because they were not having waiters coming to the table. So, you, so you've you already gone into the pub, sat down, picked a table, then you've got to, and then and then you have to sign up to the terms and conditions to be able to order the drink off of their website, even though you sat in the pub. So there's not really any need for them to collect that data about you, is there? Because you're already in the pub. They couldn't get a waiter over, but they decided to do scan and what was it called i can't remember how you, what you call it now he's kind of qr code and make it, the buy you drink through the through an app um so yeah that you said you're already committed to it so you at that point you're not going to sit and be like just give me a minute kid well we order dinner and i look through this privacy policy to see what data they're taking like you're just going to go yeah please just give me a beer I think a big part of this is that the, the pubs are trying to follow some semblance of compliance with uh, the, well, in this case would be COVID regulations rather than data protection regulations. And you know, there's a company somewhere that's selling them this service of saying, hey, you can limit contact between your clients and your waitstaff by setting up this QR code. Uh, we're going to sell you this for really cheap. Um, it goes through your, it goes all through your domain. So, you know, as the user doesn't feel like uh, there's something being uh, fishy or anything like that. But the data is, of course, being collected in the back end, not by the pub, but some third third party company and uh, who's most likely going to be selling this somewhere else. And then I think the question is, who's responsible about this? Is it the pub who's trying to respect uh, health regulations or is it the this uh, third party uh, trying to sell the data? 
Well, I think I think it's even scary when you look into some of the the detail of some of the privacy policies that these places have. And one of them that I read said, "You give us all of this data at your own risk." Mm-hmm. Great, thanks. Um, and we might transfer it outside of the EU. And I'm like, "What? No, that's not." I shouldn't have to go on your website to find out that you're going to send the track and trace data that I'm giving you in the pub, that you're going to send that away outside of the EU. Why should I shouldn't have to. The only shouldn't be on me to go and look mm-hmm. into that shortly when the, when the risk is that your data is getting transferred all over the place. So I, I think this really shows the issue with having so many external parties providing these services. So it's most, I mean, I don't think that it's the actual pub that's trying to sell off your data, especially not if it's a small pub. It just happens to be that they've purchased some service to help do this because, you know, they wanted to have something simple that made a, a good user experience. So, you know, if you're a customer, you, you go there, you can get the full menu, you can order food, drinks, get a quick uh, service. You know, for, for you as a client, you're, you're glad, happy about this. And this is what you're going to be experiencing rather than the whole, all the technical things that are happening in the background, mm-hmm. which, the pub tech, which the pub in the end has no control over because it's all being done by some third company uh, in the US, um, Eastern Europe, India. Uh, lots of places are handling this, uh, these kind of things. And, you know, they, these companies are telling the pubs, yeah, our things are, are GDPR compliant. And, um, you know, because, of course, if you tell the pub, hey, I'd like you to delete my data, the, the pub's going to try and uh, wonder for 30 minutes, what do we have to do? Give those guys a call. And then from some interface, you know, your data is no longer going to be accessible to the pub. But, uh, you know, I mean, Amy, you're in sales. Uh, if we imagine that Rob has set you up with some Excel spreadsheet uh, for you to look at your potential contacts and someone says, hey, I don't want to be contacted by you anymore. Rob's not going to delete that. That information has way too much value. All he's going to do is put a marking somewhere so that you can't see it anymore. And he still has access to it. Well, and it the- it's kind of like the whole unsubscribe thing, isn't it? Like to, for me to not contact Rob anymore, I have to know that he doesn't want to be contacted. So I have to have his information mm-hmm. and not be able to contact him. That's the thing. Absolutely. And- uh, I think Rob had mentioned this at some point that if you hit unsubscribe, you're sending a hell of a lot more information to them and many companies then say, hey, are you sure you wanted to unsubscribe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and then they want to find out the reason why you want to unsubscribe. So then they're collecting more data about you, um, which then they can then nonsensically store somewhere to probably get breached at some point anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the thing, because all they're doing when you unsubscribe, they're not deleting your data from it. They're just saying somewhere, um, some flag, not subscribed, true. And then this way, when they're sending things out, it's not included or your email address is not included. But they still have all the data, which is yeah. uh, definitely a, and a if, pain. if they chose to sell that data on elsewhere, they will just set it on and there'll be a flag on it saying company flag Amy, this person has unsubscribed from. Well, I don't care. I'm company flag Rob. You know, I've, I've got hold of your data. 
I don't care that you don't want to hear from Amy. I'm not Amy. I'm Rob, and you're going to hear from me for the next 40 years until you unsubscribe, at which point I will simply sell the unsubscribed data on again because it has a monetary value. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I find most disappointing about these regulations, GDPR, but, but actually it's all regulations, is that for the regulation to exist, someone somewhere must have pushed it too far. Someone somewhere must have gone beyond what everyone else considers acceptable behavior for a government or a series of governments to put in place regulation. Regulation only comes when enough people have got it wrong, deliberately or otherwise. Yeah, I mean, they do though, don't they? You have tales of companies like ringing up old ladies constantly with like marketing crap. Um, trying to flog them stuff, but you unsubscribe from their service and they still continue to call you. Um, I mean, I've said it loads of times and I keep threatening them with like legal action. <laughs> oh, stop ringing me. Uh, so GDPR gives the users the uh, right to be forgotten. And I can't remember the, the name off the top of my head now. I'm really sorry. Um, but there was a, a guy in Spain who had some financial troubles. And uh, when his name, when you Googled his name at the time, the first thing that came up was that uh, he had uh, financial troubles. And so he tried to take Google to court about this to say, hey, you know, this is no longer the case. I'd like to have this removed. And Google essentially said no. And the guy went on like again and pushed and pushed and pushed until the court said, hey, now get rid of it. And the thing is, even though Google did get rid of those links, of course, he's now the face of uh, the right to erasure you know you have this right to say hey um i don't want this data about me to continue being publicly accessible it's always going to be publicly accessible i mean there's not just one search engine yeah. but you can make it a lot harder to find yeah and, and with the way back machine and, and other concepts the data is there it's, it's accessible mm -hmm. but but that as um, there's a, a double-edged sword with that, isn't there? Because as an innocent person, and I use the term innocent very, very loosely, um, we all have the right to be forgotten. We all have the right to not have our innocuous past or our behaviours shared and scrutinised. But what about if we're not innocent? What about if we're not particularly nice people? What about if we prey on youngsters or prey on old people or whatever um should we still have the right to be forgotten because there is perhaps an argument that says if you've been convicted of something mm -hmm. that yeah, conviction that, should that be publicly available yeah is that not information that's in the public interest though so you can't get rid of it i think i don't and, know uh, th this would be then uh, made available through the country so if you wanted to have that taken down, you would you would have to go through the, you know, proper chains within your country. Um, assuming we're talking here about legal cases. Well, it's yeah. like when they try to get these when in the UK, you can get what's called a super injunction. I don't know if they've banned them now, actually, um, where basically like footballers were doing morally questionable or slightly illegal things. 
And they're... Not necessarily just footballers, I hate There's a lot of footballers that were doing it, though. And they were then taking <laughs> super injunctions out against, like, the whole British press so that the British press couldn't post anything about it, couldn't, like, write anything about it. So a load of MPs got really pissed off with it. And in the UK, if you go to in the in the House of Commons, everything that they say in the House of Commons has to legally be recorded into a document called Hansard. And it's like just an entire like list of every discussion that they've ever had in the House of Commons from like when it started. So these MPs got really annoyed. So to get around the super injunction, they just started talking about it in the House of Commons because the super injunction doesn't apply to them. Um, so then it kind of negated the whole point of it. But I just thought, well, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like there's a right to be forgotten, but it was also, if you're in the public sphere, then, and you do, and you do things that are of public interest, newspapers are going to write about it. Like that's kind of the double-edged sword of being famous. Uh, I think the right to be forgotten relates more to, for example, um, I know Amy, and uh, I know Rob, and maybe Rob starts writing uh, some last some slander about Amy, saying that uh, Amy is selling uh, products that don't work. And you know, you can say, "Hey, this is not true. Uh, please get rid of this." Definitely uh, not true. Just so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm sorry for putting that out there. Uh, Amy does. I have no idea what products Amy sells, but I'm sure that it's <laughs> perfectly good. Um, but, you know, this is where you can say, okay, no, this is not true. And even though it, it's going to be very difficult for you to get Rob to shut it down, you do have now the tools to get search engines to no longer be providing these services about you. So, yeah. because of course it's, it's an attack on your reputation. And then you can potentially also leverage these with the hosting provider to shut the website down. Historically, it's still gonna be there. People are still gonna be able to find it if they want to. But if someone wants to say, hey, what does Amy sell? Something you're gonna guess, oh, Amy has lots of connections within my field and I'm gonna go ask them about it. And they're gonna say, oh, hey, yeah, Amy's a top person. She knows what she's talking about. And um, I stand by what she, uh, I stand by what she bought or you know, as as it were, instead of instead of what the first thing you see is uh, one star rating, horrible person was really mean on the phone, which you know is just uh, people being, well, trying to get uh, trying to have some sort of influence on the internet uh, because uh, maybe they didn't have the means to purchase a product or. But that's I mean we we drifted slightly off, which doesn't surprise me even a little bit, um, because in, in all those instances that we've just started discussing, we are talking about where people have, have made the decision to do something. So you've made the decision, the, the right uh, to be forgotten. You've made the decision to say something about Amy um, or read something about Amy. You know, we're going back, we're, we're talking about groups of individuals who actually don't have any say over what's happening and this i think is is a different scenario i mean it's very clear when people are in a position of, of power um or financial um mm -hmm. wealth and they, they they can manipulate situations it's all well and good we're talking about about you know your, your average joe or jane who wanders into a situation and unknowingly is handing over reams and reams of data in the on the, with the assumption that it's all okay 
I think this demonstrates that there's been an absolute uh, breach of trust between the service providers and the users. Um, you know, uh, if we take social media, you hear every week about some data leak, data scrape, who knows what else. And um, the latest one, I think, uh, the latest one that most impacted me was uh, Facebook because the phone numbers that had been released were not people's phone numbers that they'd handed in, but those that were used for uh, 2FA. So people wanted to connect, they wanted to have that security. And some people have a number just for getting those SMS uh, tokens. And that was the number that was released. It wasn't even their personal number, which is a really a, a weird um, weird thing to have made public. And so this is the case where you say, you know, you, you trust these companies with your email, username, password, uh, transaction history. But in the end, you have no control over who's going to be looking at your password, uh, how many people were fired, from, how many engineers were fired from Facebook uh, because they were stalking women. I mean, you know, this is, this is really scary. And uh, this was a thing. I saw this a couple of weeks back. I think there were something like five or six engineers that were fired last year, if not more. Um, absolutely nuts. That's crazy. And, you know, these people have absolutely access to uh, who they are, where they are, yeah. uh, what places they hang out at. I think, like, what you're talking about there is really big businesses. And I think they should have more... You'd expect them to have more responsibility and, and be better at doing this. But I think actually, when I look at like the track and trace thing, mm -hmm. when I went to the local pub next door to me, I wrote my name down on a piece of paper and stuck it in a bucket. There was no way she was keeping them pieces and them names and paper. There was, there was no way that she was using that for marketing purposes. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? She was definitely just being like, I've got to do this. This is the easiest way of doing it. The pub that I go to is full of old men who wouldn't be able to use a track and trace. QR code, like they struggle to just talk on the phone, never mind, like use an actual iPhone. Um, so that was the easiest way of doing it. And I've got genuinely, Maggie, shush, I've got genuinely zero, um, zero thoughts in my head that she's used that data for anything else other than she had to keep it for seven days or whatever. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other pub down the road, they have got a QR track and trace system. It's a Marston's pub, and I'm sure that they've kept any bit of data they could keep their hands on. To use for marketing purposes, I'm sure. I'm, well, I'm not 100% sure that's the case, but I, am, I doubt they got rid of it after seven days or whatever it was. So you mentioned that they were putting your, uh, I'm guessing, name and number in a piece of paper in a bucket. There's no, there was no check of your ID, so to check that your name uh, was correct. So on the one hand, like, you know, th they are not uh, checking in on that, on that side, like with their uh, track and trace compliance. But I mean, you know, you expect people to be providing the details because they also want to be informed if anything's the matter. But it, it's a very difficult call. Yes, I want to be informed if there's a problem, but do I want to just put my name and phone number in a bucket in a pub? When the track and trace thing started, there were lots of people saying, hey, get a burner email address, try to get a pay-as-you-go phone number just for this, just for these things, because you don't know where the data is going to end up. And if some telemarketer is trying to call a number that's no longer active once, I mean, hopefully 
uh, yeah. by the end of the year. It's no longer a case of this, you know, telemarketers trying to call up a number that doesn't exist. You know, it doesn't bother you. But this, this then starts to create a very unfair society because, mm -hmm. you know, if I look around this, this chat, the three of us are, I hope between us, we are reasonably tech savvy. Um, we certainly all know somebody who could help us with various elements of our, of our tech world. But the majority of people wouldn't even consider the idea of getting a second phone just so they can go to the pub. Not to mention, I mean, let, let's put aside the cost of doing that in the first instance. Mm -hmm. But the idea for, for the majority of people, the idea that you would have a secondary phone number that you would use to hide behind, a burner phone that you would hide behind. First of all, for most people, that's going to immediately sound criminal <laughs> just because of, of the way it's used in, in you know, cultural reference. But the finance side of it, the aggravation side of it, um, and I think that, that then creates a split society. You have the digital savvy mm -hmm. and the digital unsavvy. And I think the digital unsavvy will become more and more vulnerable to being preyed upon by people within or above the industries. Hello, Maggie. <laughs> hey, Maggie. Um, I think that, you know, this really shows with the, the tech companies, uh, there's the case of saying, you know, they're able to build so many things, you know, they're able to provide the users with an, well, a product with a user experience. And we think that the only thing that's happening is what we see, and we're not seeing the whole aggregation working in the background. Yeah. And, you know, this is the whole, you know, the scientists were so busy worrying, figuring out if they could, rather than working out if they should. This is the whole place, you know, you get the whole ethics element brought into it. And I think this is something that's definitely going to be getting bigger and bigger. Because as you said, IT or technology needs to be made so it's the same for everyone with the same ease of access. And we need to be able to explain to people what's being used and how it's being used. And maybe it's too late, maybe it's too difficult. I mean, you know, as we said, you go through a track and trace that's being sold off through how many data brokers around the world just to uh, create a report on you. Um, I think in the US, for example, paying off your credit card makes your credit score go down, which sounds absolutely crazy to me because it's saying you're better off having more debt than less debt. It's this, that's exactly the same here. Like if you don't have a credit card ever, you have a shit credit score. Whereas if you have a credit card, then you have a credit score. <laughs> Which, you know, for me, that makes absolutely no sense because it's saying not having it means you're not in debt. And, you know, you, you can show your savings accounts and you can show your income and, you know, that you're not uh, living on, on overdraw. But, but... But, but that's no good at all if your business is lending money to people. If, if you are in the business of lending money, you need to lend it to people who can't or won't pay it back on time. Because if they pay it back when they say they will, you're not going to make any money from them. Hence, having a credit card makes your credit score go up because you've relied on credit. It, it's, it's an absurdity. It's not it, So your credit score, in my mind, and this is, this is a very much my opinion, a credit score is not a score of how credit worthy you are. 
it's a score of, of how low you're hanging on the tree as to whether the credit companies will pick you mm -hmm. to target you. And they're not going to target the people who pay back on time. It's, a, it's not in their interest to do so. Staying on the um, credit card uh, idea. So PCI, as I was taught it, um, so operations, for example, the credit card or debit card should never leave the client's hands. Now, taking this oh, yes. back to pubs, I don't think <laughs> I've ever been to a pub at closing time where a credit card stayed in the client's hands, partly because they weren't able to get it to the terminal. But, you know, does that mean that the pub is uh, not compliant? Does that mean that they need to shut down? Well, it's not good. Yeah, sure, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, reading the letter of the law or the letter of the regulation, then yes, that would mean that. Whether in practical terms anyone's ever going to do that is another question. No, and, and, and the reason, you know, if you, if you backtrack enough, you've got to think about why, why is this even an issue? Because actually, uh, as, as a rule of thumb, I trust people. My, mm -hmm. my opening position is 100% trust of everyone I come into contact with. That doesn't necessarily mean that I would give them my car, not because I don't trust them with my car, but because I don't know whether or not they are capable of driving my car. So capability and trust are not necessarily the same thing. But trust is 100%. So when I go into a pub and somebody says, or a restaurant and somebody says, um, here's the bill, should I take your card? There you go, there's my card. And I, I won't think twice about it. But actually, I know of many situations where companies have got somebody inside who's taking that card, taking it back to the counter, photo, photo, swipe. Full details have now been taken um, and sold on. And that's why that regulation is put in place, isn't it? To protect... From, from that situation or that potential situation. It's not just so, bad information they take though. Like when I was younger, I went to the shop and bought some beer and the woman was like, have you got any ID? Obviously that happens to me all the time now as well. I'm 32. <laughs> um, I didn't get ID'd the other day and I was like, what the actual hell? Like come back here and ID me right now. Um, anyway, she, she took she took my driving license and then started writing my driving license information down in a book. And I was like, for what reason are you possibly doing this? Like why, even this was like 18 when I was a bit thick about stuff like data privacy. And even I thought that was really strange that she would be writing my address down, my driving license number. I was like, what do you need that for? Well, if you come in again, then you don't have to show us your ID, do you? I was like, but you haven't took a picture of my face on it. So I could just be lying and say, I'm anyone else in that book anyway. Like, does it make any difference? No, like it's not, there's no, there's no valid reason you could possibly have for writing that information down. So this brings us back to the, um... You know, they're trying to provide you with a better user experience so as, or customer experience because next time you go in, you won't get carded. Um, the good thing is they're not putting this into an Excel uh, spreadsheet, uh, which they're then uh, sharing across the world. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, you know, you don't know how long it's being held for. Um, how That's way too much data. I mean, they could just take your name and say, Amy from across the street, you know. 
Or they could just like ask me for my ID next time I go in the shop. <laughs> yeah, they could, but uh, how many people would be going? You saw me yesterday, or you saw me last week? Yeah, I do that all the time in the shop. <laughs> but still, still, but... still, do you get my ID out if they say? No, it's like a legal requirement because the law, I don't know what it's like in Europe, but in the UK, the law is if you get asked for ID and don't produce it, you don't get served. They can't be like, oh, I do. Like, I know you're so-and-so's son from around the corner, so you can just come in anyway. Like, that's not how ID laws work. So, yeah. So I, I know in Switzerland they had, I don't know if they still have, uh, test purchases. And yes. uh, kids, you know, will go in and... Uh, if they don't get carded, the store will get fined, or oh, did get fined. It happens a lot in the UK. Um, where I live, it's it's uh, it's quite a big business. I'm, I'm trying to get my children involved in the uh, in the test purchase industry. I think, I think there's money to be made there. <laughs> I'll send Maggie in. <laughs> uh, I, I would hope Maggie would get would get carded. I, but then it works the other way around as well. So I've been in as an adult, like I was, I was, my brother was like 14. So I must've been like 28. I went into the supermarket, bought some wine and I was with my brother and they were like, have you got ID? And I was like, well, I do. Yeah. Well, you're obviously buying it for him. I was like, I'm buying a bottle of Merlot for a 14 year old. Am I really? Does that sound like the kind of thing you'd be drinking? And she was like, well, I can't save you because he's got no idea. I was like, but I'm not with him. Like, he's my brother. Like, what? It's like, it's like the equivalent of having my child with me. What is this? You've misinterpreted the regulations yet again. Yes. But, but it's very, it's, but this is, is the, my fear that the regulations get so um, diluted as they get passed down. So they get passed down from, from government through, um, governing bodies, through associations, through senior leadership, through boards of directors, through CISOs, down to security, down to, to independent, down to, down to the person who's opening the door for you. And they completely misunderstood what the regulations are. So, you know, they've been told you're not allowed to hold a door open for anybody because of tailgating. Okay, no problem at all. So person comes along with a huge pile of books and their lanyard over their thing and the lanyard matches the face and the face matches the lanyard and the lanyard says they're allowed in, but I can't hold the door open for you because I've been told I'm not allowed to do that. No, 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 you've missed the point of what that regulation was for, but it wasn't their fault. Ah, but Rob, did, did you know that person carrying the books or didn't you? Because that's exactly how people try to get into the buildings. No, 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 you, but I'm you, saying you, they, you they have bad. got an ID. Yes, but no, no, no. I mean, it's a legitimate. It, okay, it's a legitimate ID. But how can you check that it's legitimate? Do you have an ID scanner with you every time you go out of the building? Well, in theory, all they need to do is touch it again. Okay, okay, a bad point, poorly made. Thank you. Aunt. And uh, no, no. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, I, I absolutely see what you mean. But in in this case, you know, if it's someone yeah, you know, yeah. if it's someone you know, and. Uh, you know, it's always not quite the same thing as saying somebody that you've never seen before or someone from a different department that you don't know because then you say, hey, uh, so I can't help you, but I'm happy to call someone from your team to help you out or if they can prove that they can open the door. Yeah, like you know, I'll, hold, I'll hold your books for you while you open the door. That would be fine. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, there's ways around. But it, it's the, yeah, I mean, I didn't describe that at all well or explain it at all well. But my point being that, that regulations have been so confused by the time they get down to the person who is responsible for overseeing them at, at user level. I think this comes down then to having a proper appropriate strategy. Uh, you would have some leadership strategy saying, okay, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is how we're trying to accomplish it. And then these are the teams that are going to be affected by it. That's fine. But when it was like the track and trace thing, we just got told, we're doing track and trace now. You've got to go find a system for it. It's got to be implemented. And if you don't, you can't open. So there's no way on earth that anyone could have a strategy for mm -hmm. that. And the smaller establishments don't understand the regulations that they're trying to implement mm -hmm. anyway. They most like, I'm not going to lie, the public I go to doesn't have an information security manager. There's no person working there in that pub who's the infosec manager. They have a landlady and two bar, two bar women. Mm -hmm. They don't have anyone else working there. So I don't think they've really got any clue about what that data is for, the privacy policies that they're meant to be adhering so to. So this comes back to what you were saying at the beginning, right, with the privacy policies saying, being very vague, uh, self-referencing, saying that, you know, we're, we explain how we use this data within the privacy policy, and this is a part of the privacy policy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it shows these companies might not have the personnel to handle this. And so, hey, you know, along comes somebody saying, hey, I, I sell this product. All you got to do is, uh, you know, we, we'll have someone help you set it up. You don't need to worry about anything because we're compliant. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the public's like, okay, hey, great. This way I've covered my regulations. Uh, I can open up again. And, yeah. you know, it's, they're not, they're not trying to rat out their customers. They're just trying to, you know, get customers back inside and... Uh, and uh, exactly. Um, I think this is where, you know, you get like maybe some alternative things where people were having, as you said, a piece of paper in the pocket, something on a whiteboard or even just a book. You know... I mean, I see that book thing now, even when I go to see customers, which hasn't been for ages, actually. So before, I mean, before lockdown, <laughs> um, when I used to go see customers, some of them would have a signing book it's just a list of names and numbers and and registration plates. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can see everyone else who's visited you this week. I can see who they visited, when they came in, when they left, like the phone number. Why should I be able to see all that information? And if I write my number down in this book, someone else can see all that information about me as well. And fortunately, the majority of people are honest, mm -hmm. decent people. But, I'm not. I've been yeah, no, no, no. I, mean, I, 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 I look. <laughs> loads of them on my phone. I'm joking. I, I mean, I look at a list of things like that, and I can work out instantly. This is great because it's easy enough to find out when a, an MOT is due for a vehicle, and it's easy enough now that I've got their mobile phone number to send them a text message saying your MOT is due. Click here to extend it by two weeks, and that's it. Job done. Thank you very much. I'm in. Mm. Not that I would, of course, but people do. And this this is the problem. And the people sitting at the desk have been told you have to gather this information before we can let them in. I've seen this uh, in two different variants. 
uh, I've seen receptionists who will give out a piece of paper to the visitor, and that piece of paper gets uh, archived. Simply uh, as a form of verifying who was there, like uh, simple security measures saying, uh, someone was here, they were looking for this person, we've called them up and told you to wait somewhere and you know just got some contact details in case anything is the matter in the future. Mm. I've also seen it with, uh, as you said, like uh, books or ledgers. And in this case, usually the people are there with you while you're filling it out. So you can't just snap a picture mm. or at least that's how I've seen it. Maybe I've been lucky. I'm not saying that people can't <laughs> memorize phone numbers, but at least that way you can only see the one page. Yeah. You can't just go back to say, oh, hey, I know Amy was here yesterday and, oh, nope, you, you're on the wrong page, uh, buddy. I, I do quite a lot of work in schools. And unfortunately, schools, particularly junior schools, are very poor at, uh, at this, this sort of stuff. Um, just recently, they've got better. Now you can only normally see one page at a time. They've removed pages as they turn them. But I remember going into schools and being able to flip through five, six, seven, eight pages of, of previous day's visitors. And because the reception wasn't being um, watched 100% mm -hmm. of the time or the person behind the counter was busy on the phone, um, you could just scroll through, mm -hmm. click, 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 or just run a video scrolling through and, and freeze it later on. It, it was all very possible to do. Um, you know, but again, it's because there's, there's not an understanding. You know, why did we why do we have to do check-ins in certain places and not other places? People talk about it being for fire regulations. Well, so that's that's complete and utter nonsense. Because when you go to the theatre or when you go to the cinema, you don't have fire regulations. Um, you don't put your name down. There's a count of people, mm -hmm. but you don't put your name down. But also when you go to the cinema, in the event of there being a fire, you don't have to hang around at the end to be counted. I don't know if anyone's been in a fire evacuation from the cinema, but when it's pouring with rain and 11 o'clock at night, you know what you do? You get in your car and you go home. <laughs> you know, you don't stand there waiting to be counted to make sure that everyone's out of the cinema. You should, but you don't. Yeah, so, people leave so, the cinema all the time anyway, so that count would be totally relevant because people leave a film halfway through or whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's all just... I think it's stuff that people do because... They think they should be doing it, but there's not actually any rhyme or reason to to it, I guess, or like to the to the actual implementation of it. Headcounts do provide a bit of help or an idea. For example, if you say uh, we had uh, ten visitors, uh, they were yeah. with person so and so. Hey, oh no, uh, they left uh, two hours ago, or uh, they might be there might be someone in the bathroom because. The people who are doing the checks inside the building, you don't know where they've been. Mm. And maybe you do need to go send someone back in again to, you know, double check uh, somewhere. Um, yeah. Again, obviously, that's a very specific case with buildings. Obviously, in a movie theater, someone can very quickly check that the theater is empty, second, uh, second screening room, toilets, all right. Yeah, it's like, well, it's, going back to pubs, I've never, until recent, recent times, had to give them my name and number to say mm -hmm. that I'm in the pub. Um, but I've been in, like, there's been fire evacuations when I've been in the pub. And like you said, I don't sit and wait around for someone to mm -hmm. count me. Let's go to the next bar where the fire alarm's yeah. not gone. Exactly. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the bar staff will just, you know, go check that the toilets are empty, that there's nobody stuck in there, you know, close yeah. behind them. And then... Uh, kick out the anyone that's uh, staying behind uh, you know closing windows and closing doors yeah 
UK government's super dumbass brave decision to publish details of their proposed changes to GDPR regulations and data privacy policy, with the UK set to introduce data adequacy agreements with countries such as the USA, Colombia and Korea, which makes about as much sense as the fourth Indiana Jones film. The government are looking to introduce regulations which reduce the need for cookie policies and websites and allow the flow of data outside the EU for economic reasons. Nothing like sneaking a crafty cookie in your browser, eh? The only saving grace here is the fact we've got a New Zealander coming to oversee it, and they seem to have been pretty good at containing things so far, like a de decent Peter Jackson film that doesn't have a twat load of hobbits in it. Next up is a story about the prevailing skills gap. We have news of a company trying to recruit for an InfoSec-related role. Nigerian-based threat group Demonware is looking for disgruntled employees to take part in ransomware attacks in exchange for a cut of the profits. The downside we found is they're paying a Bitcoin. And with such a volatile market, we'd like to see more diverse payment options like Ethereum. We here at ZeroFX are also not surprised to find that the ubiquitous Nigerian princes are funding these groups. They appear fucking loaded, but yet to send us our money, even though they took our deposits. Scoundrels and vagabonds should, should be able to trust a Nigerian prince. What a world. Finally, this week's news roundup concludes with the news that China is introducing a limit on undergate 18 KB. China's video games regulator has announced that children will only be able to play games for an hour on Fridays, weekends, and during holidays. To enforce this, games companies will be using facial recognition to ensure children aren't using their parents' IDs to gain entry to gaming platforms. Chinese parents across the country have been left wondering what the fuck they did to deserve such a punishment. Now to the weather, we stay classy in that community. Starting in the southwest, the run of unusually warm weather we've had is resulting in a growing area of high pressure around Exeter. Nothing to do with the weather, that's just on the roads. Historically, of course, this is mining country, so keep an eye out for adventurous types wearing head torches. Moving on up into the Midlands, we see thick cloud cover. No precipitation to speak of, just badly named products and poorly designed user interfaces. The picture changes as we move further east. Keep an eye out for sin flooding, especially in low-lying areas. More or less the same picture moving north, though obviously wetter, colder and different accents. Don't expect too much change as we move into the weekend. Expect patches of sunshine and broken cloud with the occasional shower. Misty in the mornings and, of course, a high chance of ransomware. Thank you. Yeah, so, so going back to, to when you're now going into pubs now and the fact that there's these privacy requirements and handing over details and so on and so forth. Do you think this is something that's going to, to re be retained? Because obviously once, once um, sort of the track and trace concept calms down, once, once COVID-19 becomes less of um, not a pandemic and something more along the lines of the flu, mm -hmm. where it's somewhat more manageable, somewhat more expected, presumably... I don't know, but presumably we are going to have to check in less. So do you think at that point the pubs 
and the hospitality business as a whole are going to say, oh, thank goodness, we no longer need to retain and collect everyone's data? Or are they going to just continue to do it for using your, your term, one, the user experience? No, you know what? I actually think that they're going to stop doing it because I think they were getting fed up with getting closed down and being the place that everyone caught COVID because no one did track and trace anywhere else if i went to the supermarket i never once had to be like here's a lot of data about me let me check in at this shop it was an optional thing some supermarkets and some shops did put a sign up for but most of them didn't because as soon as the numbers were coming out like oh everyone's getting ill in the pub well of course we're getting ill in the pub because you're not checking where anyone else is Mm -hmm. That's the only place where you're tracking people going. They're all getting ill in the pub. Yes, that's the only place that they're going that you know about. You don't know anywhere else that they're going. It really wound me up when they were blaming hospitality for it. It's like, I don't check in anywhere else. This, this sounds awfully like Donald Trump's uh, argument of, of course, our numbers are high. It's because we're testing so many people. If we tested less, we'd have lower numbers. <laughs> No, it's not that, but it's like we, we're legitimately doing no track and trace in any other. I, I agree. I I don't think that it's going to be kept because our hospitality or good hospitality is based around the human contact. Yes. And you go to a restaurant and you have someone tell you, these are today's specials. This plate here is really good. This pairs really good with, well with this wine, and you don't get that from your smartphone. You don't get that personal, um, you know, counsel, as it were. Uh, no matter how good the applications might be, no matter how good the service might be, you don't get this personal element, and so you don't want to stay there longer. So you're gonna be consuming less. You know, you're gonna go in for a meal, drink, and get out. Going from two drinks, get out. Do you not feel though that that's more your high end, and maybe not even high end, maybe maybe mid to high end uh, establishment? Because even pre-COVID, there were pub chains who were requesting that you ordered via a, an app at your table. You you scan the barcode and you put in what you wanted, and the, and the content. Excuse me, say that again, Amy. So that they could employ less staff, yeah, because you were just... Absolutely. So, yeah, whilst I take your point, there are situations... And also there are situations where I want... There are occasions when when I go out, I want to be wined and dined. I want to be treated like a a king, or at the very least, like somebody slightly above the gutter. But... (laughs) I know my place. So, so I, I, I'm... Times where I just want to go and, and have a beer and I don't want to be talking to staff. And I don't want to be interrupted. I just want to get down and, and do what I want to do. I don't know about the UK. Maybe I get to be in a little bubble here, but usually when there's something like that, it says service at the bar. Yeah. And the wait staff are only doing food maybe, for example. But you still have someone that comes to your table to say, this is what's uh, special, you know, there's still someone who's going to be looking after you. Obviously, this is not something like going to um, McDonald's or Burger King, you know, where you can just go to a, in French they call it a borne, uh, like an order point, and then collect it. I, I have been to pubs where you would go order something, you would get a buzzer, and when the buzzer goes off, you can go collect your meal, 
but that's just because the pub is so packed that yes. the wait staff can't go around carrying trays between tables. You know, they say. Yeah, no, here, here they literally just have pubs where you there is someone behind the bar pouring the drink, but you can just order. You go and sit down and order all of your food, all of your drinks off of an app. You never talk to anyone. Someone just drops a drink off, which I always think they're screwing themselves out of money because I'm never going to pay a tip when that is the experience that I'm getting. Mm -hmm. But there we go. The other thing is if you go somewhere and, you know, maybe they might have specialty beers or specialty wines, uh, whatever. If you don't have that human experience of being able to discuss things with people, you can describe things as much as you want. It's just a block of text and there's no emotion behind it. And in the end, you know, even if you're at the, even if you're at the, in the gutter, you know, you do want that human contact. You do want that, you know, someone telling you, hey, actually, this thing here, it's really good, really recommended. So, so we, we think hospitality pubs are going to stop collecting our data. I, I, I'm not sure that I'm as, as convinced as you are. And I think they will maybe just find another. Uh, my fear is that they will say, this is great. We don't want to give this up. This is such a, a wonderful additional revenue. I think they will object to giving it up. But I mean, if, if we go back to something like a fast food chain where you have the automated uh, ordering posts, clients, computers, yeah. all you're doing is saying, I want to order this. They yes. might be getting your payment information, but that transaction is managed by another party, not even by the restaurant. So that they're not getting that information. And then you go to the counter to pick up your number. So if we get that, I'd say... It's not so bad. It's not ideal, but you know. There are, however, fast food restaurants that have a system where you order, you place your order on your app. So you log into your app. Mm -hmm. It asks you for your location, which you can you can be vague with, but it does ask for your location. Um, obviously, it's picking up your uh, phone data that's mm -hmm. being transmitted. You then go to the restaurant, tell them you've arrived, so you've got your location data, so they can narrow you down anyway, just based on, on travel time. I mean, it's it's not a difficult calculation. Yeah. Um, and as we know, you know, these apps are, are fantastic. This wonderful concept of login with Facebook. Oh, that's easy. I don't even have to bother doing anything. Well, yes, but hang on a minute. When you log in with Facebook, you are, I mean, the app says, you are giving this app access to your contacts. Yeah, but that's okay because I'm just logging in to order, order my burger and chips. Honestly, and I think, yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say, have you, have you heard of that application called Waze that does like maps? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Travel. For some reason, that has access to all of your contact book. How the hell is having access to all of your contact book helping you get from A to B? So I think that they use the, so they say that they're using that so you can send your contacts your uh, destination and they can follow you as it goes along. Yeah, <laughs> if that's the I'm case, not sure that I want sounds all legit. Right? Five thousand contacts knowing where I'm driving. Uh, honestly, I think the for example uh, signing with Facebook or signing with Google is actually a little bit scarier because of this data share between your uh, service provider and the social or the tech giant yeah 
I, I GitHub, I would say I don't mind so much, for example. It's perhaps something personal because some, maybe you limit where you're using it for. But as you say, if you're using, for example, something like signing with Facebook, suddenly Facebook has access to all your data and all of your every place and every time that you've ordered food online. You know, they're already profiling you in so many ways. And now they know that you have your diet. Um, so what could the average user do to protect themselves or to lessen the impact or lessen the, I guess, the invasion on their privacy from these large companies? What what could we all be doing? So that's an interesting one because these huge companies, the people who are going to be using them the most now are going to be children, right? Most of them have yeah. terms of service that say you have to be at least 13 years of age. And I mean, who hasn't lied on, on the internet about their age? So, you know, the, uh, they're going to be saying, yeah, I'm 13, 14, handing over their full data, like, you know, full name, date of birth, and all these things. And whose responsibility is it to tell the children, hey, when you're creating something online, maybe don't use your real data or is it on the parents? Is it on the schools? Um, when I was in school, we were told to watch out for uh, predators, not for, you know, tech giants. Uh, I yeah. don't think that's changed, but, you know, is it, on, is it on the parents then to tell the children about this, explain the risks and, you know, sort of explain why? But the, the parents are woefully unprepared. I mean, I'm, I'm a parent, Amy is a parent. And I'm in the industry. And apart from the fact that I couldn't explain to my teenage children anything and have them accept it, I mean, forgetting, you know, anything I suggest to them is going to be ignored anyway, mm -hmm. just by by virtue of the fact that I'm their parent. Um, but but we are unprepared. They're using social channels that, that I'm not even aware mm -hmm. of. And by the time I've caught up with them, they've moved on to something else. And I'm not saying that as, a, as an old man who has no idea what's going on. That's just the nature of technology and also the nature of teenage. So um, I, I, I don't know if you're going to have Stuart Peck on as a guest. But I think he's, he might have, actually. But he would be an excellent person to ask this because he's absolutely able to say, all right, if you want to scare your kids, these are all the things you need to show them. And, you know, I, I think if you're able to get that fear once, you're a little bit more careful or you might be more open to listening. Um, he, I mean, you know, he really demonstrates lots of things. Uh, he explained how he was originally trying to hide his identity a bit online. And then it came to a point where it was just so exposed, he just had to roll with it and figure out, you know, uh, damage control, which I think is, you know, something that as adults who've been on the internet is something we can do, you know, our lives have already been exposed. So all we can do is damage control. We can't, you know, you can't really make data disappear, but there's also, you know, you, you can give the, the younger generation these, the tools or the means to, you know, protect themselves online. Um, it's not about your own security. It's about, or it's not about hiding yourself online. It's just about, you know, saying, I don't want to be receiving 200 emails a day that I don't want to receive and then, you know, missing the important ones because I've deleted everything. I think something else is we don't really understand how the internet works as a user. We just go on a website, the website works in a certain way, 
but the way data is being shared, we don't know what data is being shared. And so this, you know, it comes again to, okay, you know, the privacy policy is talking about IP address, uh, yeah, oh, uh, operating system, browser, but, you know, they're getting this anyways because you're visiting the website uh, yeah. as part of the, as part of the um, HTTP request. So, you know, and they're not going, and if they're storing that, you know, they're just absolutely ridiculous because. <laughs> in... But but there's a there's a the point is that they store everything because they can, which which heads right back to what you started with. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. So I think they should because there there's a ninety nine percent chance it's being used to counter um, malicious connections. And it's not being done by the website itself. It's being done by the hosting provider or yeah. whichever service they're using to host the website. However, saying that you're using this to provide you a better user experience at the pub, what barman is going to know that you have a 1998 uh, ThinkPad computer uh, running Windows 3.1 uh, lying at home because you you don't you 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 know because you're too stingy to to upgrade to something how, newer, right? How the hell did you guess what I'm running this on? Playing in eight bits. Amy, if you're running this on Windows three point one, I am really impressed. The camera the camera quality on this really. Old <laughs> um, I think this has been such an interesting discussion. Have you got any final thoughts for us um, to kind of end the show with? I think you asked about uh, ways to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's obviously going to be, you can't protect everything. There are tools that help you protect yourself. So uh, I really like Thunderbird. Thunderbird will check uh, links. And if the URL is not the same one, uh, so if they've written a new URL that points to something else, Thunderbird will tell you, hey, watch out. This, uh, the two links don't uh, match up. Are you sure you want to follow through? Awesome. And so, you know, you can test if, uh, if it's right. Of course, a scammer can just say, click here and make that go somewhere else. Thunderbird won't alert you about that. Okay. Password manager will not let you fill in details on a website it doesn't recognize. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, once more, it's just little layers of protection. It takes some time to get them involved. And the other thing, uh, maybe somebody else that you might uh, like to meet is uh, Dan Kahn, who talked about um, poisoning your data online. Mm -hmm. And the whole process of saying, okay, you know, if you want to protect yourself, maybe don't share everything. You can yeah. share it, just maybe not in real time. And uh, I mean, there's lots of women who've shared about this uh, about going to conferences and, you know, they can't share pictures online as it's going on because they're going to get targeted. People are going to, you know, try and find them and uh, show off that they can. Mm -hmm. um, someone I was listening to recently was Natalia, who was saying exactly this, you know, don't share the places that you enjoy going to because if people know that you go there every Thursday, that's when they're going to start showing up and following you home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've had some interesting similar experiences to that this week that I will not go into. But yeah, I agree. Don't share where you're going with people. Uh, 
So yeah, thank you very much for coming and talking to us. I think that's been a really interesting discussion. We've managed to stay vaguely on topic as well, so I'm pretty impressed. Not badly. Yeah, um, I think we might have we might have derailed at some point somewhere in the middle, but I think we brought it back. So yeah, it was it's been a really great conversation. So thank you very much for for being here. It was a pleasure. And so um, tune in again in a week's time on twenty third for our next episode. Hmm. Well, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure who we're interviewing yet, but I'm sure we'll find someone. <laughs> Maggie wants to say bye, though. Yeah. Say bye. bye, Maggie. Absolutely. <gasps> Goodbye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>